In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel reading, which I've already read. You may be seated. In this parable, our Lord Jesus talks to us about money and heaven. Many people ignore heaven, and they trust in their money instead. They rely on it and serve it because it is their God. They use their God to secure for them favor from important people. Money can guarantee a comfortable life. If you serve him well, you can become financially secure and independent. People trust in money, and then, like everyone else, they die. And as the saying goes, you can't take it with you when you go. Solomon's wisdom in this is timeless. He writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in his hand. All of us are headed for the grave, and we cannot take anything with us when we go. This is the fatal flaw in the religion of the materialists, those who think that the only things that exist are those things that we can experience with our five senses. This, by the way, is the prevailing thought among the Marxists and so-called progressives in our society who are seeking to form a new kind of utopia in our midst. They imagine that true wealth is measured in abundance, which is why they want to spread it out so that everyone can have it, because all that you see is all that there is. They are worshiping money, what Jesus in our text calls unrighteous wealth. But money and all that it can buy perishes along with the world. To worship money is to worship what is dying, and to worship what is dying is to worship a dead God. When Jesus tells this story about the clever manager who padded his own wallet with his master's money, he is not commending the man's dishonesty or endorsing his greed. He is not your example for the text in that way. But he does commend the man for his shrewdness. The manager finds himself in trouble for wasting his master's goods. And so knowing what is to come, that he will soon lose his income and everything that goes with it, he faces the situation with the cool logic that would be the envy of Mr. Spock himself. He's physically incapable of digging ditches, and he's way too proud to beg. But at the early point in the story, he still has authority over his master's property for a short window before he has to turn over the books. He uses that time to his own advantage to buy favor with his master's debtors. He undercharges them, and he leaves his master holding the bill. Now, the master could go back, and he could uh, go back on those deals that the manager made in his name, but that would be embarrassing both to himself and to those who are in debt to him. 
And in that culture, that was something that was not done. It would be better, in the end, to let matters go and to simply be rid of this steward who had cost him so much money. Jesus says to kind of sum up the whole thing, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. In other words, those who worship money handle it better than those who don't. But it really shouldn't be that way. Jesus goes on, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This is our Father's world, and his only begotten Son, Jesus, our Savior, tells us to learn from the unbelievers how to use its wealth. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus, again, is not saying that we should imitate the godless in their sins. But he is some, saying something about how we can learn to use money from those who live to serve it. Those who are clever will use their money to benefit other people. You can think about all of the, all of the do-gooders in our society. They spread their wealth around, and it only increases their, their reputation among uh, you know, their followers. The fellow in our story illustrates this to a point. He benefited others so that later on they could benefit him. To put it simply, he bribed them. He paid for their favor. He enriched them with money that he stole from their master and so made them indebted to himself instead of the master. Now that's a smart guy. Unscrupulous, immoral, self-serving, certainly. But he was a smart guy. Jesus commends us to be smart as well. But don't make friends whose hospitality is fleeting and can only help you in your quest to get more of the stuff of this world that's passing away. Make friends with those that you can enjoy in heaven. Use whatever material gifts that you have received from God to promote the extension of his kingdom in this world. Again, Jesus says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Don't buy anyone's favor, but instead, Give away God's favor freely, even as you have received it freely. Give the gospel and give your money to promote the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel reveals the favor of God that is purchased not with any amount of money, but with the very blood of Jesus himself. Now, there is a cost to the gospel, but we don't have to pay it, for Jesus did. Let's understand what is for sale and what is, for, what is not for sale. Men buy and sell favor for money, but their favor is short-lived. Memories are short. Loyalties are fleeting. But the bond of Christian fellowship that God establishes in the waters of the font in holy baptism is as solid as God's faithfulness. It is grounded in the redemption that is yours in Christ Jesus. St. Peter writes, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb 
without blemish or spot. The price of our redemption was the holy and precious blood of Jesus and his innocent suffering and death. He is, as we sing on Sundays, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Apart from him, we have no hope in this life or in the next. We may as well live for what money can buy. If not for the obedience of Jesus unto his death on the cross, where he abolished our death by bearing all our sins, we would face eternal death. But your Lord Jesus faced eternal death for you. In his own body, he fought death, the death that held all of mankind in its sway by means of his perfect obedience and by his suffering. And in these things, he has won the battle for you. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, and Jesus has paid its wages by his own death on the cross so that we would have eternal life and hope for the life to come. So, what is the world to me? What is money to us? Well, it's not entirely worthless. Since we are redeemed, purchased from the futile things of this life that are headed towards ruin, all that we have and all that we are is redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That means it has been set apart by God for a holy purpose, a purpose that is chosen by God himself. We pray for this purpose every time we say the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's name is hallowed when Christ is proclaimed as the Redeemer of the world. His kingdom of grace comes when he gives his Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. His good and gracious will to save sinners from their sins is done wherever the gospel is proclaimed. We pray the Lord's Prayer and we consider Jesus' words for the day as a backdrop. Again, he says, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. We will fail. Our bodies will give out, our eyes will not see, our ears will not hear, our brain and our heart and our lungs will stop functioning, and we will no longer draw breath in this life. As St. Paul says, for this corruptible body must put on incorruption, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When we put off these dying bodies, the angels will come and they will take our souls to heaven. There we will be welcomed by Jesus and all the saints that have gone before us. We will be reunited with Christian loved ones who have gone before us, those who carried us to the font, who taught us the faith along the way. And we will join them and all the saints in heaven to wait for the resurrection on the last day when God will give us immortal and glorified bodies that will live forever. And that time will be a time of unparalleled joy. But one of the best parts, I dare say, of that unparalleled joy is that God will give us knowledge that he used us to bring the gospel to others who, by the same gospel we believed, received those same joys in heaven. Money 
makes a poor God. In the end, he seeks to crush you. Everything in which you trusted will be gone. When you know God in Christ, however, you have treasures in heaven, and your relationship to money is reversed. Instead of money now controlling you, you control it. Instead of it driving you into its service, you now put it into your service. You cannot buy anything from God because he isn't in the business of selling. He is only in the business of giving. What we received freely, we also give freely. And what we give to support the preaching of the gospel is an investment in treasures that cannot be stolen or lost or destroyed. For when God sets our affections on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he lifts us out of the power of money, and he makes us wealthy with riches that money cannot buy. It is true that covetousness and greed will vie for our loyalty all our days. But it is also true that we belong to Jesus, who is our priceless treasure. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.